Welcome to the September 2019 podcast for JPEN, where we'll be discussing a paper entitled Prevalence of Malnutrition Risk and the Impact of Nutrition Risk on Hospital Outcomes, Results from Nutrition Day in the U.S. My guests today are Dr. Michael Tischmeyer, who is from Medical University of Vienna, and uh, the founder and champion of Nutrition Day around the world, and then Gail Gewertz, who is the uh, individual leading the Nutrition Day in the U.S. effort. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. Dr. Kismeyer, I'm wondering if you would start by telling us about the history of Nutrition Day. Tell us about the effort uh, and, and why you started it. I think the history is very simple. It was driven after the European Council took the decision from uh, based on, um, uh, on 18 countries that nutrition care should be a priority in healthcare. But it was noted by the European Society for Clinical Nutrition and Metabolism that despite this political statement, not much happened. And then the European Society Espen asked, give us good ideas what we could do to promote it. Within a work group, we developed the idea that it would, we need more data to increase awareness, but also to generate knowledge at the same time. That's how this idea was born, where we thought we should decrease barriers for participation, we should be open for participation, and we should, re we should also collect outcome because it was a very important element in our thoughts that if risk factors are not related to a, to a relevant outcome, then these would not be um, relevant uh, risk factors to be considered for healthcare. And so we started with the idea in, uh, initially in 2004. We did a pilot in five countries in 2005. And finally, the first year where we run already in 25 languages and uh, in more than 30 countries nutrition day in 2006 and since then we have grown it's now over 60 countries participating we have accumulated data from over 260,000 patients from more than 12,000 units participating tell us how have the data changed over the last 15 years uh, you mentioned really a very important point after um, in the year 2016 we have refined and we have added specifically process and quality indicators and since 2016 we are providing the participating units not only with a standard numerical report but also with a graphical quality indicator report to really emphasize also the comparison between the region and the country together with the specialty. So what have we learned then about malnutrition in hospitals? Sincerely, at the origin, I did not believe that the problem is as big as we found it in the data. And it is so reproducible over the years that uh, more than half of the patients that are actually in a hospital, and I would say more or less worldwide, have one or more of nutrition-related risk indicators that 
are positive. And what we consider as risk indicators is having a low BMI, not eating well before being admitted to hospital, not eating well in the hospital, and having lost weight during the last three months. And each of those factors turned out to be a significantly associated with poor outcome. So we certainly have then an incredibly large data set here showing us that, that nutrition risk is a very large problem in hospitals around the world then. Uh, Gail, tell us about what we know from the U.S. When did this effort start? And, and is malnutrition or nutrition risk as much as a, of a problem here as was found to be in Europe and other countries? So Nutrition Day in the U.S., we started the first Nutrition Day in the U.S. in 2009. I had the honor of meeting Dr. Heismeyer, I think it was about 2008, at an ESPN meeting. And he saw my passion to um, raise awareness about malnutrition as opposed to restricting nutrients in the hospital setting for diabetes, cardiac, et cetera. Maybe she was looking at what's going on with their actual intake and how it's affecting their outcome. So uh, after a year of thinking about it, I realized that a project like this needed to be implemented in the U.S. as well. And yes, we have found the data to be pretty consistent with the U.S., although um, in the actual paper, the study does say that the malnutrition risk was a little bit lower at 32.7%. And their methods were a little bit different. It was compared to the MSP, the malnutrition screening tool, and the nutrition data. So it was a different way of looking at the data, but regardless, it's significant. And um, the best part about this is it, you can't fight with the data. And prior to having this data, we'd find non-nutrition clinicians, call it nurses, physicians, administrators, denying the fact that malnutrition could be a problem at their facility. They could never believe that they had their patients going without nutrition for days or weeks or um, not eating meals. And this paper enlightened the idea that we do have a real problem here in the United States, and it does need to be addressed. What about selection bias? Those institutions that chose to participate, maybe those that are most interested or engaged in finding those patients who are malnourished, right? How, how do you address that in your, in your sample set? So for us, um, interestingly enough, I have the opportunity to work with Morrison Healthcare, and they have multiple type of hospitals, whether it's um, teaching hospitals or um, community facilities. And it was interesting because the dietitians that really wanted to participate were very engaged and worked closely with me to make sure they did everything right. Then I'd receive a call from a dietitian saying, I have to do this, my boss told me, and they weren't as enthusiastic about doing it. But the reality is they did it, and we did have a nice mix of facilities. It wasn't segmented by rural or urban or teaching or community. We have a very nice mix of that. I may add to this uh, aspect of selection bias that in, in several countries, we had whole hospitals participating. So not only dedicated units and we found very similar results. And it's certainly cannot be avoided that there is some self-selection in such a convenient sample but it appears to have not a major impact in the overall problem identification. Very good, thank you. Now, when you look around the world globally, what are the different issues surrounding malnutrition risk and overt malnutrition? Uh, if you look geographically, 
but also then based on the presence or absence of nutrition experts, the funding of the healthcare model, have you been able to tease out what factors really do impact malnutrition risk amongst hospitalized patients? So if uh, Professor Schindler in one of the papers that analyze the nutrition data address the issue, what makes people not eating worldwide? And the pattern that we found was strikingly similar, despite the fact that the interaction with certain factors was slightly different between countries. One of the interesting findings was, for example, that for age, the risk to not eat is more elevated in the young and in the old in the hospital. I would have thought that only the old are at risk. We, all, we for, saw, found also, and this pattern is quite uniform overall in the world. What we found also that those that are already obese, they tend to defend their obesity and eat better than those that are not obese. So in the obese that are not eating, we may find a population of hidden malnourished, for example. And as a third point, it is very important to consider, for example, mobility. Patients that are confined to bed or that need assistance are also at high risk of not eating well. And I think this very close association that is an independent risk factor has often been overlooked. So overall, I think that the risk factors are quite similar, despite the fact that the healthcare systems are very different, more private or more public, or just on, on individual payment as it is in the less wealthy countries. And I think that the factors that are brought into the hospital from outside are more prominent in less wealthy countries. But the factors that are found within the hospital, that means that patients are not eating well, they are very uniform. There are particularities in certain aspects of allowing or not allowing patients to eat in certain conditions. This varies between countries. Apparently there is a culture of withholding food in certain specialty that is much stronger than in other specialties. And this is in certain surgery units, patients often do not get food after surgery or before. This is quite remarkable. And Gail, what did you find in the U.S.? So the U.S. is pretty consistent with Dr. Heismeyer's findings. Uh, so one, there were a couple of key findings that I found concerning and um, was patients on regular diets who may not be visited by nutritional specialists or dietitians or even addressed by nurses are not eating their meals. We found over 30% of those patients are eating less than 50% of their meals and um, that could lead to a higher risk of mortality. And we also see that there may not be enough dietitians to cover all of the patients, including the ones on the regular diet, which is a huge concern. The other area we found in this paper was nutrition support, whether it be parental or enteral nutrition, that patients uh, were not getting parental and enteral nutrition if they weren't getting enough nutrition orally. Um, and the amount of patients getting parental and enteral nutrition if they weren't getting any nutrition was still low 
we're talking about the five percentile. So clearly, there's a concern here with nutritional care potentially not being higher on a priority care list when it comes to non-nutritional um, clinicians. All right, and, and that's consistent with what we might expect, right? But it's very good to have these data. Uh, what, what is on the horizon for the Nutrition Day initiative, both in the U.S. and globally? I think, if I may start, uh, that uh, we have a big chance to, in that, uh, to intensify the networking within Nutrition Day that units that share common characteristics uh, uh, can communicate with harmonize similar data from all over the world and can try to understand the phenomenon of malnutrition in hospitals and to share experience. And I think one of the important experiences that needs to be addressed is how you can understand data that you have collected for benchmarking purposes and how this can be communicated to the team. And I think that Gail has made very interesting observations on this regard. I agree. I think that, and I may have mentioned this previously, uh, however, it appears clinicians are not familiar with the inter internal review process or the internal review board process for submitting for a study. So in the US, we have a little bit of a, a roadblock there that we're able to overcome compared to outside the US where more public medicine is practiced. So I work individually with hospitals to get their internal review board to approve this study, which is not really a study, it's a benchmark. Nothing different happens to patients, it's more of an audit or an observation. Um, I also find that clinicians that are receiving their report, they see it as a benchmark report, may look like a report card to them, and they may not understand what's really going on. Well, if they get their report, let's say they did medical surgical patients, and they compare it to the other medical surgical patients that participate in Nutrition Day outside their facility. And then they say, well, we're doing pretty good comparatively, but is that still really good? And, and, and that area needs to be addressed. The other area that I find is, is, is very consistent here in the U.S. and maybe occurring outside the U.S. is clinicians don't know what to do. They're still stuck. They're, I think the awareness has been very effective, whether it be Nutrition Day, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, or Aspen itself, or all collectively, I think there is becoming an awareness around malnutrition, and now everybody is like, okay, what do I do about it? And being able to provide tools and processes and programs to assist clinicians with minimizing malnutrition risk is, is key. And, and, and that's one area that, that does need to be addressed. Uh, we've seen that um, in, the, in the paper, it's also addressed that there's variabilities and nutrition assessment forms. And we certainly know there's standard forms out there provided by the Academy or by Aspen, and they're not being used. It's usually the homemade nutritional um, assessment form that may not be validated. So I think there needs to be more standardization with nutritional care, and we need to be able to offer options on uh, processes, programs, products, that can optimize nutritional care. Uh, this, this is outstanding information. And, and certainly, I think Nutrition Day has been excellent for increasing the awareness of malnutrition. Uh, you know, there's been, been so much interest over the past decade at really redefining um, what nutrition is 
or malnutrition is in, in advanced countries uh, and, and how prominent it is in hospitalized patients. Certainly efforts with screening um, using standardized tools, making sure that much more than a dietitian is interested in, that we have our nurse and physician colleagues engaged in, in identifying these patients uh, are, are present. The assessment that needs to happen, we've got the criteria, um, conversations around the criteria of, of malnutrition. So, so for the developed, but I really am hoping that in the very short future, we can start also talking about intervention and getting past screening and assessment and really intervening on these patients with the hope then of optimizing the outcomes that they have, turning around some of, of the bad outcomes that we know are associated with malnutrition and really getting processes in place where transition of care and the discharge of these patients from the hospital into the post-hospital environment, whether that's at home or in a long-term care facility, uh, that that nutrition care translates with them so that when they're in that, that time where, where they're so susceptible to poor outcomes associated with malnutrition are, are really addressed. And, and so I want to thank both of you for shining a light on this issue and, and helping really use, use large data sets to show us how important this problem is. Do either of you have any final, final messages for our listeners? Uh, I think, uh, Dr. Tapenden, you made a very important message uh, about continuity of care. And we have included these factors now because we are asking in Nutrition Day whether malnutrition status and treatment is uh, included in the patient record. And surprisingly, it is very low. It's below 50% even in the high-risk patients. And so if, if I may have a final statement, I would say that nutrition needs much more attention during the whole stay in the hospital. It needs really to be acknowledged that not eating is associated with an increased risk by a factor of up to six to eight. And that it is really varying that of these patients that eat little, that less than a quarter get nutrition support. And I think so there is so much area for improvement. And that's one of the reasons why I really would like to take the opportunity to congratulate the US team led by Gail Gewürz that took the initiative in the name of the European Society of Clinical Nutrition and Metabolism for coordinating this and to bringing with this very nice paper the message to the uh, US American audience. So, it's really the enthusiasm and the dedication that helped a lot. And so the US group is the number one of the top four contributors to the Nutrition Day data. Let me also congratulate you, Gail, for leading this effort in the US. Oh, thank you. Being really, really important. Uh, and for our listeners, please, uh, please hear Dr. Pressmeyer's words and pay much more attention as he proposes to this issue of malnutrition uh, in an effort to increase outcomes in, in these hospitalized patients when they're in the hospital and through the transition afterwards. The website for Nutrition Day in the U.S. is nutritiondayus.org. 
there's data, um, there's actual support for um, getting started with Nutrition Day, but the primary website would be nutritionday.org, and that is the worldwide website where um, there's multiple languages for the forms that can be accessed, and um, there is a U.S. section as well. Michael, did you want to add to that? I think it's very important to, to give, to provide this easy access via the website to a lot of information to the national comparisons as well as uh, to overview data and many explanations in addition. So there is contact information on the nutritionday.org website for all the uh, national coordinators for all of the various countries that are participating, whether it be email or phone number. And in the U.S., we do have a separate U.S. website just so uh, clinicians from the U.S. Um, can access information a little bit more easily than navigating um, the various countries. But the two websites in and of itself will provide the information for whether it be the U.S. and then the worldwide website would be nutritionday.org, U.S., nutritiondayus.org. And we kindly invite all interested to join on 7th of November 2019, this year's Nutrition Day Initiative. For our readers, please do go to the September 2019 issue of JPEN to read this paper entitled The Prevalence of Malnutrition Risk and the Impact of Nutrition Risk on Hospital Outcomes, Results from Nutrition Day in the U.S. Thanks very much to you both.